Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. This includes animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and, importantly, appreciation. The program is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia and streamed live via the 3CR website. Recent podcasts are available from both the 3CR and Freedom of Species websites and all podcasts are available via iTunes. Welcome to Freedom of Species. I'm Kate Gracie and with me here on the panel is Kate Elliott. For the first time in a very long time. You well. assure me it's like riding a bike. <laughs> Just like I'm riding a bike. Yeah, well, with um, thousands of people listening in yeah, and, to all the wobbles. And many buttons. <laughs> Welcome back. Now, it's been said too many times to be counted that Australia has ridden high on the sheep's back, that our na- national prosperity was due to an earlier success of the sheep industry. But we wonder to whose expense... So today in the studio, we have Luke Westmoreland from Victorian Lamb Rescue, and we have Emma Sullivan from Animal Liberation Victoria. Hello. How are you going? They're both volunteer foster carers for newborn lambs that have been identified as too ill or vulnerable to survive without intervention. So Emma, by the sound of it, caring for a newborn lamb is about as intensive or maybe even more intensive as caring for a human newborn, and as a mum... As a mum to two, you're very well qualified to say whether or not this is correct. Is it as intensive as caring for a human newborn? Uh, Yeah, definitely. It's a lot more nerve-wracking. I think a lot more can go wrong, especially in those first few hours. They're pretty critical. Give us a brief overview of what's involved for caring for them. Yeah, so um, when you first take in a newborn lamb... um, especially when they're only a few hours old, they're really critical. Um, They can go downhill really quickly. Sometimes you have no idea why. Um, You're feeding around the clock. You've got uh, colostrum to give, as with any newborn, human or or sheep otherwise. Um, And, yeah, you just sometimes you just don't even know what's going on. You're just pandering to their every need. You've got to keep them warm. You've got to keep them hydrated. Um, You've just got to watch so many things. And you've got to be careful not to overheat them as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's true, yeah. So yeah. it's a fine yeah. balance, yeah. Yeah. So what kind of um, sort of, I suppose, labour time is involved with this? Like what kind of time increments are you getting up to feed? And if you've got a, if you've yeah. got a lamb in your care, how much time in your day is involved with looking after a lamb? Oh, it's constant, absolutely constant. So, I mean, as with having a newborn human baby, you've got times where they're sleeping and... I mean, it's still labour intense, but you've got time to, um, you know, go make a cup of tea or something like that. When you've got a brand new lamb, you are literally watching them nonstop. 
So feeding through the night, um, every couple of hours. Sometimes, I mean, it can be every hour or so where you're up watching if they're really sick. Um, you need to give fluids sometimes, so that's intravenous, um, which is tough. You know, it's really hard. They're fragile and they're newborn and you've got to do injections just to keep them alive with fluids and saline and electrolytes. So, yeah, it's really tough. You're constantly watching, uh, you're feeding through the night and you don't have the luxury of some babies sleep through the night. Lambs don't. They, they don't do that in nature and they don't do that when they're, they're in your care. Where do you get all these supplies from? All these you're talking about injections and supplements and feed and all this all this specialized equipment. Where does where do you get this from? Uh, a lot of it's fundraising, so I've had the the support of Animal Liberation Victoria this year to do that. Um, last year I was with Victorian Lamb Rescue, so I had the support. A lot of it is just fundraising, getting the stories out there. Um, you know, trying to to fundraise for those things. We have a great network of vets that help out and donate their time and do no, donate a lot of supplies as well. Um, and then a lot of it is out of the foster carers or, or, you know, myself's pocket. How many lambs would you be caring for at any one given time? At one time. Um, myself, I've had five in care at one time. That was short-lived. It was in between them going off to other foster homes. Uh, but three were critical at the time. Um, So that was really difficult. I'm glad I had my partner with me to look after the kids because I was just lamb mother for that time. That was all I had, you know, (laughs) was constantly watching them and feeding and, yeah. And I believe these kids, as we call them, aware nappies as well. So when we're talking about caring caring for them, they're actually part of the family, aren't they? They're in the house with you. Yep, definitely. So I've found the easiest way, and I think a lot of foster carers do as well, is to bring them in the home with you. Um, So that way you can watch them, you know that it's temperature regulated, um, it's not too hot or too cold as long as you don't have them near a heater somewhere, and you can watch them, and they do really become part of your family. My kids have bonded with them straight away. They bond with you. Um, They quickly learn who feeds them, and they follow you around the house and dote on you. You don't get a moment. They're at the bathroom door when you're on the <laughs> toilet waiting for you. You'd be used to that as a mum. Yeah, as I'm a, as, used as, to a human, that, yeah. as a human mum too, that's the I'm same. I'm pretty used to that as it is. But, yeah, they really do become like second or third or fourth children that you've got in your home. Do you have a similar experience with that, Luke? Uh, yes, to all of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it is around the clock, especially when they are young and critical. Um, and Yeah, sometimes up to an hour or two-hour feeds and... Sometimes you're lucky to get ones that'll sleep four hours after a bottle, but that's not always the case, and that's always really stressful as well. Um, Tegan and I um, were lucky enough to be able to split it in half. I work night shifts and she works day shifts, so there's always someone at home um, to look after them. So when I'm at work, she's home, and so at work we're lucky as well to have the two of us always around the clock to be there for them to give them that observation they need. So how many have you got in your care at any one time? Um, it depends. Um, this year, it's, I think the most we had at once was eleven. Oh my god! Um, but again, that, that was that was short term. That was only for a few days, and we we're able to get them to foster carers. But um, but sometimes you know you you get inundated, and you've got to do what you've got to do. So we managed with eleven. There was not much sleep had for those few days, and um, you know. But in the end, you always see them going off safely somewhere, and you get you know the update photos. So it's all when you get to see those photos, it's always worthwhile. The stressful nights and the yeah. the no sleep. Both are you. Caring for lambs in those almost just critical care. Um, Advocate Lamb Rescue, we try to get them 
move them around as little as possible. So there's really critical ones we will look after or some of the ones that have um, freshly, we've had a few that have broken legs and needed amputations. We've kept them in our care just because they need super observant, specialised care that we know between mine and Tegan's uh, work hours and stuff we can give them. Um, but then when they are more stable, we do put them in, in longer term, um, either foster caring or if we're lucky enough, we can match them straight up to uh, an, like an adoption home. Right. How big's your network? Like, How many foster carers are available to you? It depends, um, obviously, because our foster carers all have their own lives. Most, a lot of them all work themselves, so it's it's a matter of you know people matching it. Like at any one time, we could have four or five, but four or five carers, carers available. available, yeah. But and then sometimes, depending on you know their circumstances, it can be less, or if they already have uh, some sheep or that kind of thing. But yeah, at any one, we've got four foster carers now that have um, that are fostering our lambs at the moment. So. It does depend, but it's usually around five that we can we can utilise. Can we always try and move them to places that have similar age sheep or lamb as well, so they can bond with it? We usually do it in pairs, um, adopt out, so that they can you know have a mm. a lifelong sort of friend and someone they can grow up with and learn to be sheep with. Because it's um it's tough for lambs, especially when they they get separated from their mum so young that they some of them you know like they they go places that only have a dog, so they become like dog sheep. <laughs> and they pick up all the mannerisms of the dog, which is quite funny. But, yeah, we try and keep them all together with sheep. Right. Tell me about the emotional price that comes with this kind of work. Um, the emotional, it's, it's, it's tough, it's, um, especially with the, the young ones. And we had, to, we had a few that were really sick because they had, uh, according to the vet, malnourished mums. So their mums didn't have you know, the correct feed and stuff when they were pregnant, so they were born undernourished or with birth defects. So unfortunately, you know, it's always really hard to say goodbye, especially when you bond with them because they're so young and vulnerable when you meet them. You know, you kind of just automatically become super protective because they're just such, you know, tiny, uh, vulnerable animals. Um, so it's always really hard. It's really tough to say goodbye to any animal that you've sort of bonded with, whether it's, you know, a week or a day or, you know, 10 years. Um, but we have a, you know, a good support network. So we're always there to talk to our carers and, um, we, we keep in constant contact and try and make sure everyone's all right. And people are always that um, that have our lambs or anyone in general is always can contact us around the clock. Um, but yeah, that's the the main thing has been sort of talking to each other and making sure everyone's kind of doing all right. Because the last thing we need is to make ourselves not available for the lambs. Mm. Mm. Do you find the same, Emma? That emotional yeah. price, and you've got children in your household too. Do you have to protect your children from that? The emotional toll that comes with caring for lambs yeah certainly um we've lost quite a few animals um over our time so i think the kids now um just realize that's inevitable they understand that the ones we care for are not the healthy happy ones that can go straight off into a forever home they realize that they are the ones that you know i am up during the night i do fall asleep on the lounge room floor with them you know that's that's how it is so if they are lost we do have sit down and have a very frank conversation about it um and yeah one of my daughters is too young to realize so i mean she'll be fine she just gets up and goes the next day like nothing's happened but i do have a seven-year-old as well and that is tough we do Mm. sit down have a lot of conversations about it um, but on the flip side, she's learning as well about caring for animals, about mm. compassion, about kindness. And I really think she does understand why 
we've made the choice to make this part of our lives. Yeah, right. Tell me, where do these lambs come from? Like, who finds them and where do they find them? And basically, how do they end up in your care? Um, we get them from all all sorts of places. Um, we check paddocks um, for areas we know where have like a high mortality rate of their lambs um, and just generally um, sheep in poor condition because you can usually tell um, by the mum. Um, we've had a few people, a few like farmers here contact us um, to surrender lambs that they didn't want to care for but they didn't want to kill. I guess they had a, a you know, question of conscience. Um, a few people find them on the side of the road and get in touch with us. Um, we've got a few from the pound a few different council pounds. So really from all over, but the, yeah, the majority of them come from places where they haven't been, been given the correct care to get them to be adult sheep. When you say they haven't been given the correct care, as in you see them in a paddock and they're ill? The, they're usually huddled uh, in a white little ball, um, shivering, um, alone. Right. Usually eyes cold as well, especially on nights like tonight. Luke, did you want to talk a bit about um, winter lambing? Uh, lambs can't regulate their body temperature in the first 48 hours, so they don't know if they're hot or cold or anything like that. So when you um, choose to breed your lambs in high numbers uh, in the coldest part of the year um, and not provide the the adequate care, there are, there are some measures. A lot of the paddocks, they don't have any... They have like one or two trees, um, as and that's all the cover they have from the elements. Um, and they also, and also because they're in such high numbers, the farmers don't have the the resources or the abilities or the wants to pr- bring them all into the barn and make sure they're out of the weather or things like that because they don't see them as individual lives. They just see them as dollars and cents at the end of the day because that's all they're trying to get out of them. They're not raising them because they love them or anything. It's just because they're trying to make money off them. Um, and when you look at a lot of the the feedback we get from people that have um, farm, they farm sheep, they always come back to, oh no, we really care. Like if we didn't care, we wouldn't make any money. And even their arguments are based on that sort of disconnect with their their animals and their wallets. Is that they they even admit themselves that they they care because how else would they make money by, by proving that they're not seeing them as individual lives? That whole winter lambing is about the market. Mm. It's what's best for the for the sheep industry is to have winter lambing. By having winter lambing, as I understand it, winter lambing means the lambs are weaned in the spring and that's when there's the best feed, natural feed, so the farmer doesn't have to buy in additional feed. Yeah, that's, that's my understanding as well. Um, I think also, too, there is a perception that there is uh, mismothering from their ewes when the lambs are born. But if you think about what... Um, would have happened. Um, they would have birthed maybe one, possibly two, um, as a rarity, and now they're birthing two minimum, three, maybe four lambs. Mm. So, and I mean, you've mm. got the small birth weights, you've got the winter cold, you've got the mother realising they now have to care for four sheep, not one or two, mm. which they'd give everything to. And, I mean, they are great mothers. You, you mm. never... You never see them abandon them without, you know, on a whim. 
Yeah, Emma, I just thank you for bringing that up because when the research says that you know they may you know they may turn on the the twin or something, what happens? They're also known as really good surrogate mothers. So if you weren't pushing these flocks to the the maximum with mm. many multiple mm. births, okay, that that one lamb might be you know would find another mother elsewhere. You know, and so then that's how the flock as a unit would work. Mm. But I think when you're encouraging multiple births, you don't have that sort of um, extra sort mm. of um, in the system to look after those other yeah. um, lambs. So thank you for bringing that up. And on that, um, with the multiple births as well, um, the other the other issue is that they're breeding them for multiple births but not providing them with the adequate feed as well. So the sheep are pregnant ewes are not getting the nutrition they need as well. So they're also undernourished so they're when they've got you know quadruplets or sometimes they, they can I read an article uh, last year that they were bragging about having a founded gene where they could breed use to have up to six so they've got six um, carrying six lambs they're not getting adequate feeding so they're all undernourished and often we're finding um, more and more lambs that haven't been parasite treated so they're coming to us with worms so they're they've got parasites that are sucking nutrition out of them they've got you know four three two babies as well so they've got their bodies on this huge strain as well so then once they're actually born they're born weak all the babies are going to be underdeveloped and they still can't provide the milk as well to feed all of the babies so it all comes back down to that profitization and trying to get as much with spending the least so you know the the australian sheep industry has admitted that 10 to 15 million lambs die um annually in their first 48 hours due to malnourishment and exposure and predation and i think 10 to 15 million bloody hell that's that number's insane when i told that to my father who used to be a sheep farmer he couldn't he wouldn't believe me he wouldn't believe me mm. that 10 to 15 million until i told him that's the that's the figure that's been admitted by the industry that's not a figure that we've provided that's come from the industry and he still couldn't get his head around it and i wonder with those kind of figures how do you feel about your actions and then what you do in the face of the enormity of the of the problem do you ever just despair and think this is a, such a pointless exercise? Oh, of course. Um, every other minute. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, definitely. But then you've, you realise you've got a vulnerable little baby that would otherwise have died. And I don't think anybody who sees a vulnerable baby, whether it be a human or a dog, a puppy born in a paddock, would be able to walk away and say, no, I'm going to leave it. And yeah, the problem's die. too big. The problem's too big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do anything yeah. with it. So you're constantly torn. Well, I mean, that's my emotional mm. experience constantly, and it is a toll. It's a toll to care for them. It's a toll to be driving through the country and during lambing season, which shouldn't be at this time of year anyway. But seeing so many dotted sheep dying in the paddocks. Mm. And, I mean, yeah, you can stop, you can pull over, you can call out from the fence and, and try and see if you can contact the farmer or, you know, make them aware of the problem or get some help, but there's just so many. And, I mean, rescuing a few here and there is great because you're saving those and you're changing the lives of those ones and to be able to spread um, their stories so that people are aware because I certainly wasn't aware of this Um that, uh, that's why I do it and that's what keeps me going. Why aren't farmers caring for them? I mean, at the very, very least, isn't this massive loss 
felt economically by the industry. My understanding is that is that's why they're increasingly um, trying to genetically manipulate them to breed more and more lambs is because if they're breeding twins um, and they lose one, that's 50%, but if they breed six and four survive, you know, then they're, they're just raising their... It's kind of like gambling. They're kind of... They might get a better result, like they, one of the six might survive, or if they get lucky, six of the six might survive, and they've got you know more and more money. So it comes back down to money every time. So you're saying that... Um, so the industry is feeling it. They're feeling the loss. So their response to it is just to breed breed more. Increase the numbers, yeah. To make up, to compensate for those lost. Yep. Um, I think if you look at what the industry is saying, this is a really sort of telling time for them. I think the industry is really split. If you look at what's happening with... Um, in forums um, that they're rolling across out across Australia at the moment, and it's mainly it's southeastern Australia with a bit in New South Wales. Um, they are very well aware of these actions of um, lamb rescue, and they're saying, "Look, we have to look at other industries, such as you know, or other incidences like mulesing and things like that, where when the spotlight's on this, on the number of lamb deaths." it is going to have a backlash against this industry. Are we going to deal with it? Aren't we going to deal with it? And then, like Luke is saying, is in like with this push to have um, multiple births, and there, there is there's the, I think it's called the Barula gene, that is encouraging, you know, multiple births, and we're talking more than triplets here, um, there's a real divide in the industry. Some are just going, we do not want to go down that track. Others are saying... Um, all I'm worried about is the quantity of pretty much the weight of meat I can get to that mm. market. And this is starting this real divide. Are we going to be hush-hush about this or are we going to actually expose it and trying to improve it? The thing is, in the markets today, you can't reform this industry to an extent where there will not be lambs dying in the paddock. That is just a given. You know, that's, you know, they might want to address it, but if you've got that market pressure, you are never going to be able to reform it to that level. We've just got a song from the Michael Nyman Band, and it's called Chasing Sheep is Best Left to Shepherds. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio and that last song was Chasing Sheep is Best Left to Shepherds. That's a track from the Michael Nyman Band. Now we're talking to Luke Westmoreland and Emma Sullivan who are both volunteer lamb carers. Now, Luke, you've got a story about a lamb called Thistle. Tell us about Thistle. Um, Yeah, so Thistle we met um, because someone reached out to us. Um, She had rescued one lamb... um, from a farmer who she contacted. He, uh, she lived in the area, she was a concerned neighbour, and she saw um, a sheep that was uh, alone in a paddock. Uh, a few days earlier, there'd been a lot of sheep in the paddock, but he'd been left behind. So she contacted the... She found out where the, who the owner of the property was and contacted the farmer and said, um, just so you know, you've got a lamb that's sick in your paddock. It, it's been there for a couple of days. It's, it's alone. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know about that. Um, the foxes will get him. Um... And that seems to be the tend to find across the industry that is the the sort of standard attitude towards lamb and sheep is that it's accepted losses and it's just it's just what it is. That's generally the attitude. Oh, it's, it happens all the time. It's just how it is. Um, this all there was nothing wrong with him medically. He just needed 
he was undernourished because there wasn't enough feed in the paddock, so he was really weak and he couldn't stand up. Um, but with a, you know, a few days of good feed and warmth and love, he was up and about and he's fine now and he's in a little flock of, I think, five other rescue sheep. So, yeah, it's just a, another instance where there, there's just not the care provided to sheep in general, not just lambs across the board. So did that farmer just give you blessing to take that lamb or did you just sort of take it into your own, own hands and like, I've, I need to save this life? It came down to that. The farmer was, wasn't going to do anything. He didn't have any any compassion or care at all for the lamb. He he, he knew it was going to get taken by a fox, which is a, a terrible, mm. terrible death for anyone to mm. experience. When critics accuse you of theft, what's your response to that? I, I wouldn't consider it theft. Um, if I saw, you know, a puppy or something, another animal like that that was going to die, and I think that most people would react and they would intervene to give them the treatment and care they needed. Um, any kind of animal or person, regardless, that needs help and is in that kind of vulnerable situation, I would always act to intervene. I saved a lamb once down in South Gippsland, and when I went to find the farmer, and I door knocked around the neighbours to find who was responsible for this lamb that was just left abandoned in a, in a paddock. And I was told, oh, those farmers, they, they don't stay here. They go north for the winter and they leave their, their sheep, the ewes, to lamb alone during winter. And then the, the farmers will come back south to their farm in South Gippsland um, in the spring and they'll just pick up what's left. Whatever's died has died and they'll just make the money from whatever survived the winter. And this was in South Gippsland, where it, with, right down on the, on the sea, so it gets some ferocious weather. And those, those sheep are just left to their own devices. And so I, I didn't have any... Once I learnt that, I had no hesitation to, to jump the fence. But, um, yeah, it's curious that still people call that property theft. There's, there's an awful lot of... I'd call it absentee farming, where there's... It is there's, absolutely absentee there's there's farming. Not a, there's... Um, there's not actually anyone on the farm or monitoring them or anything like that. They just literally put the ewes in the paddock and, and that's kind of it. And I think what's happening here is that um, your actions are just exposing what's actually happening in practice compared to, say, on the websites of um, the government website. So if you go to the Agriculture Victoria website, it says that the farmers do have a duty of care for welfare. It does say that they do have a duty of care for, to provide shelter for all the sheep and if they can't provide shelter for all the sheep, that then they should reduce their stocking rate, which I'm sure if you... you know, I mean, it's laughable. I'm yeah. sure you're, you find that quite laughable if we've all driven past paddocks which are not only bare and do not have um, any shelter, um, that it, that's commonplace. Yeah. That it, it is the exception if you see windbreaks for the mm. um, sheep and uh, are sufficient for the entire flock. So... But that duty of care is just, it's on paper. It says the duty of care, but how is that enforced? How is the duty of care? With shoulds. Shoulds. Nice, <laughs> nice if you did. All of that government um, guidelines and stuff to sheep farming and agriculture, it's all full of language like you should. And it was, yeah. there's no kind of, there's not really anything that's set in stone. It's all about, um, yeah, like you should do this or you um you know, it's up to your judgment to make this decision on the appropriate amount of supplement feeding and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's not actually, it's very hard to enforce any kind of issues with sheep farming because there's not really any setting stone guidelines that they are to follow because it's up to their their best judgment. Yeah, I've looked through the regs and one of the points in the regulations was about providing shelter 
in um, a sale yard and it said that the sale yard operator should consider mm-hmm. having shelter and having should consider is like a double whammy of fluffiness because it doesn't enforce anything. I thought like should consider is a complete waste of ink. It, it doesn't oblige the farmer to do absolutely anything whatsoever. And particularly when in these industries, in their own documentation, they say there is an acceptable number of deaths. So if we're talking about live export, oh, look at, bring up any animal industry, really, live export, thoroughbred racing, greyhound racing, they have this thing about acceptable deaths. So as soon as you have acceptable deaths, where is there any incentive to avoid the suffering or the death of an animal? You know, even in their own guidelines they're saying it's acceptable if you find a lamb that is compromised you can actually kill it through a blow to the head and then bleeding it out so that's basically saying you're getting a whatever you want a stick Mm. of a hammer whatever blow to the head and bleed it out and that's what is considered humane when we know that they can be um, surrogate mothers are quite successful in these in flocks you can also care. I mean, we've got examples here in the studio today mm. that people who you can care for these animals, it, they're choosing not to, and there's no incentive. I mean, when I read the on the Victorian Agricultural website for sheep shelter guidelines, they actually even quote, which I was shocked because anyone who's looked into any of this, they quote POCTA, so Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. They say that this is something that the um, farmers should actually consider, even though they now they know they've got code of practices which say that they don't need to. But it looks good. It yeah. looks good on the website, and that's why it's important to have activists like this to expose actually yeah. what's happening out there in the in yeah. the field, shall we say, or yeah. the paddocks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we haven't touched on the other points of sheep welfare that happens after these after these lambs have survived. If they survive their first forty eight hours. Then they face mulesing, then they face castration, tail docking, they face um, shearing, and, and there's a lot of violence that goes on in, in a shearing shed. I've worked in a shearing shed, and it's not a pleasant place to be at all for the animal. Um, there's the transportation of the sheep, um, including live export, that's still going on. There's the, the suffering that happens in sale yards. Um, so... This just the survival of the lambs in those first forty-eight hours. That's just the first hurdle. You know, there's so much more that goes on after those first forty-eight hours. Mm. I was going to say on that with the, all the sale yards and everything, and some of the government um, like legislation and stuff. There's also no one in, really enforcing any of those things as well. Like at sale yards, um, mm. there's, there's no one enforcing any any kind of animal welfare beings. Like I sat with a. a sheep that had a broken leg at a sale yard once um, for about an hour before someone, like, they put a bolt gun to her head and shot her, but there was no, she had a compl- like a clean snap in her front uh, front leg, um, but there was no sense of urgency to try and ease her pain or suffering or anything like that, so for an hour she just, terrified, sat in the corner of the pen, which was standing, sorry, but just, yeah, sat there standing before someone nonchalantly jumped over the fence and shot her with a bolt gun and left. And uh, just another point about the sale yards. I know we're getting off sort of lambing here, but with sale yards, I did follow up because of the Ballarat sale yards. This is, it's hard to imagine, but back in summer when it was extremely hot, none of the sale yards actually uh, sheltered. There is no cover under the sale yards. And and so I called the animal, what they call the animal health officer, and I was talking about this and I I quoted the code of practice and, and she said, well, you know, they're good people. 
who run the <laughs> like and, I'm saying I'm not I'm not concerned about whether they're good people yeah. or whatever else I'm, it's not about their character it's about whether the needs of the animal that's actually being met and then what is concerning about that is that they're actually building um, new Ballarat or new sale yards um, to take over from these old sale yards and they'll shut these sale yards down but in the new sale yards from my understanding and the, the sale yards are not covered at all so there's still no shelter in the yards of that sale yard complex and um, I was talking to Robin from Sheep Save yesterday Melbourne Sheep Save and she sent me a photo where the walkways have got cover <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. As long as the farmers are, co- are comfortable. Yeah. That's important. So the operators are covered and so they're acknowledging that there's elements out there that possibly, you know, you should com- be yeah. sheltered from. And mind you, and the, the sheep are the ones that are usually being held there for up to, you know, 24, sometimes 48 hours possibly when they're held in a sale yard. Oh, it can be longer. And, you know, it really does feel like it's their, you know, dead sheep walking, dead animals walking. Yeah. They're treating them as though they're already Re- dead. They're already dead. Yeah. They're, they're the ones that get through, fantastic. And as you said, like, you know, broken legs, um, dead on arrival, you know, yeah. all the injuries as well. I mean, it's it's only being revealed now because activists are actually documenting it. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes that's what's needed within the industry for them to actually see the cruelty. It's become so um, accepted that you need outside yeah. eyes and then it's the industry needs to listen to that. Yeah. As in, like, I think some, you know, it sounds crazy, but I think sometimes people in the industry, because it's accepted, I mean, we... I heard animals. We yeah. like if everyone yeah. accepts it, we'll go yeah. along with it. It's shining a light that hopefully even people in the industry will start looking around and going, you know, what have we been doing? What? Why is this acceptable? It's yeah. not. What you're talking about the shelter at the, sh- the sale yards? They're failing to meet their own their own guidelines. Their own guidelines say these. That... Oh yes, and that sorry, that's a point that I did want to make in the way that like this is. You know, you often sort of think code of practices and that are about, like, things that fall out of the system. Okay, we need to be careful about this. But this is actually in the system. They know that sheep are going to be delivered there all year round. It's a known, but they still will not um, actually provide shelter for them to their own guidelines, even though it's not a surprise that all these sheep are turning up. Yeah. To the sale yard. Mm. So, you know, even the industry themselves can't achieve it. So why are they, you know, the, why would an individual no. farmer? Now, Luke, if if there's listeners that think they might be up to the heartache and the sleeplessness involved with um, mm. foster lamb caring... It's not they, all bad. There are good moments <laughs> too. Can they get involved? Is it too late now? Is, is there still lamb caring going on at this time of year? And, and if so, how do they how do they get in there? Um, yeah, anyone that's interested can get in touch with us via our Facebook page um, and then we will usually give you a call up and have a chat with you and see what, what you're able to do, what your experience is, all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the best thing to do is get in contact with that page. Um, even if you you have a lamb that needs help or anything like that, get in yeah. touch with us. Um, we're always open to help for advice as well. So if you have, you know, um, some of our team are, are qualified vet nurses as well, so... If you have any um, kind of help you need, just message the page and we'll help you out as best we can. Um, That's cool. Do you, do you need uh, particular facilities to care after lambs? Do you need do you need like a big backyard or you, do you need anything? It depends on the on the individual case. Um, for sick and critical lambs, not so much. Um, you just need lots and lots of time and patience. Um, 
but yet yeah, to to sort of foster long term, you do need a bit of space because um, they, you know, lambs they're grazing animals. So once they get off the bottle, um, you know, it's good for them to start grazing and eating grass and hay and all that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. I'll just give some community announcements before we wind up. I've just got um, a few here. Friends of the Earth are having um, their next forest collective meeting on um, Thursday, August the tenth, and that's going to be happening um, just down the road here at. The Friends of the Earth Cafe um, upstairs that's d- down on Smith Street. Um, then Melbourne Fish Save are having their very, very first rally. Um, that's going to be in Burke Street Mall in the Melbourne CBD. That's occurring at um, midday on Saturday, August the 12th. Um, over in WA at a little town called Gabon, there's a tree planting party and a music festival, which sounds would be heaps of fun. It's... Um, taking place for a weekend it starts on the evening of friday august the 11th and goes to um sunday august 13th then back in here in victoria near Benalla, there's a tree planting weekend for the regent honey eater the regent honey eater is a critically endangered um, bird they're planting trees on the weekend of saturday august the 12th and the 13th then back to wa more tree planting for the black cockatoos Um, that's occurring in stoneville that's happening on Saturday, August the 12th. So that's a lot of tree planting. Obviously, it's just tree planting time this time of year. That's all the community announcements we've got. Oh, Kate, have you got one? I have one. Cool. I have a very important one. Give it to us. You may have heard of all this organisation, Victorian Lamb Rescue. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> rings a bell. Rings a bell. <laughs> Saves and rehabilitates and rehomes lambs and sheep. Um, a charity of the month of cruelty-free shops. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so every bit counts. So... I guess is it. I mean, you'd be able to take it away from here, Luke. Is it go visit the cruelty free shop and there's a link. Yeah, there. I believe so. Um, you can click on the amount you want to donate and oh, cool. take it from there. Yeah, great. yeah, brilliant. That's really good. And where's the cruelty free shop these days? They've moved. Uh, it's on the they? corner of Johnson and Brunswick Street, I believe. Johnson, it's this oh, beautiful, yeah. huge new store. It's awesome. In Fitzroy. Mm-hmm. In Fitzroy, yeah. If yeah. you want to deliver your money <laughs> in person and, and buy some food, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. excellent. <laughs> We're also having a, a hot dog day. They're oh, coming cool. up in the next few weeks. Where's that? At the Cruelty Free Store. Oh, cool. To buy yeah. a vegan hot dog? Yeah, they're having like a vegan hot dog sale. Nice. To raise, to raise money <laughs> to pay some of their vet bills off. Oh, great. What date's that? I believe it's the 20th of August, but there's an event page on Facebook, so check it out. Okay, we will do. Awesome. All right, um, that's it for this week. Thank you very much, um, Luke and Emma. Brilliant. You guys do amazing work. Um, now, if you want to get in contact with Freedom of Species, you can contact us through our email, which is info at freedomofspecies.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Stay tuned for Encyclopedia, which is the next show coming up at 2 o'clock. And we'll just leave you with a song. This is a song that was chosen by Luke, and it's a Pink Floyd song, and it's called Sheep. See you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.